With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Tennis.com podcast. Uh, Steve Tigner and I back two weeks uh, since our last chat. Um, that was, of course, after the Australian Open. And since then, you have really, I think, a mix of, of everything that's taken place. You have Fed Cup, Davis Cup. You have some notable results in the men's side. Um, WTA really kind of hitting its stride at this point going into some um, important February events um, maybe we should get the the ugly out of the way first I suppose and you know this is also being a day where um, Doug Adler comes at ESPN for his uh, you know remark whether it was whether it was um, meant to say anything on TV you know we had another major faux pas that happened you know during the U.S. Fed Cup tie in in Hawaii, where um, where the the national anthem for Germany was not uh, played correctly, it was instead played from Nazi era times. One of the one of the um, opening verses of it, and it really put a you know a, a cloud on this entire tie. I actually watched um, quite a bit of this on TV and. Um, this story never really went away. It got picked up um, well beyond tennis circles too, and that's, you know, as much as you know the tennis community we have, you know, we, we sort of assess what's a big story. It's really when you uh, when you see something like this where it gets picked up well beyond that, you know, it's a a huge deal. Yeah, tennis is making headlines in the wrong ways right now. Um, seems like when it comes to mainstream mainstream media that's the only way it can make a headline yeah i mean on the one hand you'd say what what percentage of people in the united states knew that about the about the german anthem but on the other hand you know that's somebody's job to make sure those things are done right and 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 you're right it did it did overshadow really the whole the whole tie the which is unfortunate because the u.s won basically won its first fed cup tie without the williams sisters in years and you know it ended well for the u.s they advance um and also you got to see a little more of coco vandaway somebody who who did well at the australian open had a, somewhat of a breakthrough there i feel like other u.s players have had breakthroughs almost exactly the same breakthrough sloan stevens and madison keys both made the semis at the australian open and they they continue to do well but not that well and you sort of wonder what you know how far is coco going to take this and this was uh, you know, her performance here, I think, was a good sign, um, playing-wise, at least. Yeah, that's um, that was really, you know, one of the reasons I was watching is is because is of Van de Wey and what we saw in Melbourne. And, and you're right, we, we've had surges from, 
And it's amazing that they've all come at the Australian Open for the most part, from Keys, from Sloan Stevens, um, from Vandeweghe, and and we I think we're still waiting for one of them to kind of double down on that, make make really uh, you know make it into something more than a moment, make it into something that will you know end a lot of a lot of talk about kind of you know maybe finding that torch bearer for for the u.s women going forward and vandaway did so um against andre pekovic most notably in the the tie clinching match she actually won uh the last 10 games of it despite um you know taking some medical timeouts she's you know she's clearly i think for you know for her sort of the way she presents herself attitude wise on the court you know, when she talks and interviews after um i think she's certainly both a talented and a divisive uh figure i think she's pretty polarizing to fans i i think that's you know not that's not a bad thing i just i think there's a lot of potential interest that she she may be able to capitalize on depending on on her play it's you know it's very you know it's it's still early in a sense, although with Vandeweghe, you know, she is 25 years old. She's not in this very young crop of, of U.S. players sort of like you see on the men's side. You know, they're, they are extremely young, really just getting on the tour. Vandeweghe's been around a while. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how much we really got into her performance um, at the Aussie and just in general at, in during that Aussie podcast because so much was – fixed on the two finals but I mean did you really see this this sort of coming from her or even the potential to do so based on what we you know the body of work she's put forth in the last you know three four years of her career um probably not the semis of the Australian Open no definitely the game has always been there that the serve the forehand there's were about as good about as good about as powerful as any uh on the women's tour she just didn't seem to have the consistency you know on the backhand side and just, and just from, from match to match, uh, to, to put together a run like that. I think, you know, if everything broke right, you, you always thought she had the, she had the talent for it. Um, but you're right. She, you know, she is polarizing. And, and if you go by, look at, you know, go by Twitter feed, she rubs people the wrong way, but at the same time, winning wise, playing wise, results wise, maybe that's, Maybe that's what you need, um, somebody like that who's not afraid, you know, obviously not really afraid of any opponent. Yeah, and that's I think that's safe to say with her, you know, you're going to get that in, in her matches there. It'll be interesting to see how the U.S. actually plays um, and their new you know, Fed Cup captain, Kathy Rinaldi, how they end up playing this um, semifinal tie, which will be April 22 and 23. This is kind of in the heart of the red clay season at this point. Um, the U.S. will host the Czech Republic. Czech Republic has turned into something of a dynasty in Fed Cup, um, you know, with their players, with, with uh, Strixova, Pliskova. You have, uh, you know, Kvitova, obviously, in prior years. Um, they've really all committed to the cause pretty, you know, universally and have really you know ran with this with this competition for for quite a few years now i i almost want to say it's five four or five or five or six titles recently u.s will host them you wonder where they play that um also who they field for it if they try to get 
you know, the Williamses, or if this is, I mean, this to me, a Fed Cup is is kind of the ideal opportunity to sort of build the la, you know the newer, I guess the next crop of um, players you could see playing in this competition for a while. So I think the U.S. will have quite a um, quite a bit to to think about in terms of who they want to play and you know against that opponent there. The other semifinal um, will be Belarus and Switzerland. Um, and yes, as the obligatory mention, we're already into the semifinal round of Fed Cup. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting what surface they choose. The U.S. would almost never choose clay, but maybe they would this time with players like with a player like Pliskova. I think Kvitova won't be there, so that that um, that'll help. I mean, otherwise it would be a really tough ask to beat the Czechs, who, like you said, are are a Fed Cup dynasty and who love it, um, love to play it probably more than any country any other country at the moment. Um, but yeah, do you have Coco and maybe Madison Keys on clay? Uh, is that you know that that could be a winning combination? Yeah, and um, I think it's a good time also to mention Davis Cup because we you know that was the prior week, but um, U.S. also advances there. Not a surprise given the you know the the D League squad Switzerland fielded um, in the U.S. There was no Stan, no Roger. Um, you know, no, no Mark Rosé, no, no, nobody that could have posed any threat um, to a pretty talented U.S. team. This is mine. This is really the U.S. team that's completely now turned over from the old um, Roddick, Blake, Bryan's, even you know the Quarry days. To um, you know, you still have Isner, but you have Steve Johnson, um, and it's. It's a different. Uh, it was a different team here. I'm, and in looking at this, they you know they they sweep the Swiss 5-0. Um, Jack Sock, of course, as well. Query still on this team. I apologize for that. They uh, will actually they'll go to Australia uh, for that tie. It's a very strong quarterfinal um, round in in Davis Cup. If you know you if and this is the obviously the asterisk. If all the players top players play you'll have france against britain um and serbia spain that's clearly the uh potentially the largest one depending on you know what nadal and Djokovic want to do i think it's it's very early to kind of forecast those things but you know any sort of you know parting shot from uh the round that was in davis cup i think yeah you have to look at serbia as um having a strong First round win, Djokovic didn't look particularly good, but uh, but he won and they got through. And now he'll probably, I would guess that he would play in Serbia against Spain. And you know, I'm not sure Rafa goes to that uh, to that one. So maybe Serbia gets through there. Great Britain and France is a good one. We know France has depth that'll be in France, probably on clay. I get you know the big question there is obviously does Andy Murray play that in the heart of the season? Um, and then the U.S. Australia. The U.S. went down to Australia uh, last year and, and won, but basically with the same team. You know, just curious, the curious and Tomic play. I think we're pretty sure the U.S. will have its best guys uh, down there on grass. So you know, that, that's also that's also interesting. I guess it just comes. You know, you just never know with Davis Cup who's going to be there um, in the middle of the season. Who's going to who's going to be committed and, and take the time to go on a, to a road tie i guess that'll be you know that's the big question yeah very i should mention this is a um 
very open top half of the straw for whomever does want to uh, does want to show up and uh, and kind of put the chips in for their their country here. U.S., Australia, and the winner that plays Italy versus Belgium. Italy taking out the um, defending champion Argentina, who also did not field anywhere near their um, their top squad, um, as is want as is you know really how it tends to be in Davis Cup. Um, France, Britain, Serbia, Spain, all in the bottom half. So, you know, potentially kind of a really open uh, opportunity there for a few nations there. And, you know, looking at, you know, staying with the men for a moment and, you know, there's been more that there's been more on the tour since the Australian Open for the men. Um, I don't think you would have, you know, at the, at the, you know, from a 30,000 feet level, think of, you know, why is, you know, a Sofia event, the 250 event in Bulgaria um, really worth, you know, so much to Grigor Dimitrov? Or, you know, when you look at the draw in, Mont- in, um, in Montpelier in France, you know, just loaded, this is to the gills with, you know, the, the French men's, you know, players that you expect to see there. Um, but Alexander Zverev comes through that draw. Um these two events, we you know, we took I think certainly more away from them than you would have expected for two fifties that appear right after a major. But you know, for Dimitrov, for Zverev, and you and you've written about this. You know, I think these are very good signs that what we've seen from them in January um, and really some of the projections some of us have had for them. You know, this might be the beginning of really you know, top 10 level years for these two. Yeah. I think you have to look at Dimitrov as, you know, his win in Sofia, which was a big one for him because it was at home. You know, he was in tears afterwards. He, that's not uncommon for him, but, um, but this was obviously a big win. It was packed the whole week. It, you know, it was a sort of on the Basel comes to Federer model, which seems to work well as long as the top guys stays in the tournament. Um, but you have to look at that as, you know, that win as significant for this season and then Zverev's win in Mont- Montpellier as significant, you know, for the future. I think he's, Dimitrov's six years older. He was, you know, five years ago, he was in Zverev's position and he didn't really, he, you know, he, he got to this point where he is now in 2014, semifinals at Wimbledon, almost pushed Djokovic to a fifth set. And then, you know, that was sort of, that was as far as he got, and now he's he's back to that stage. Uh, I like the way he, you know, I like the way he's winning now. He's he's, it's not just purely on his talent or his, you know, he's winning by adjusting in matches. He today he lost the first set to Misha Zverev, you know, who's a tough matchup for him, a, a lefty serving volleyer. But Dimitrov stayed with it. Eventually, won in three sets. That's that was what he was doing in Australia, winning. You know, coming, you know, winning four setters after losing the first set, he did that a few times. That's, I don't feel like that's something we saw from Dimitrov in the past. That that ability to just stay with it, adjust, win a match that maybe you don't feel like you're going to win at the beginning. Is uh, he is he winning potentially? You know, quicker points in a way too. I think that's always a thing that, um, sort of simplifying the the you know playing to strengths a little bit more. I think he's actually always had something of an underrated. Um, serve and you know he in in the past as you say you know he's had a tendency to to sort of um, you know retreat a little bit play that more stylistic game that 
that hasn't always translated into into the wins that we've expected. Has he done? Has he from a from a strategy point even kind of just really reined things in and, and started fresh? Yeah, it seems like he's finding his forehand more, using his serve, you know, to set up his forehand more. His backhand has been better. You know, I think there's just I don't know if that's a big strategic difference. It just seems like he has he has more confidence in the mo- you know, in in winning these matches. That said, he almost blew a five love lead in the second set to go fan. He goes broken twice. Once from forty love up, and he had to break Gofan in the final game to to win that set. And during that set, some of the old problems came up. He double faulted his backhand, um, kind of you know he kind of lost his backhand. Uh, so you know that those old issues still exist; they never go away. So, you know, so we'll we'll see how Dimitrov handles that. Yeah, and you know, I think you know a, a name, of course, too is. Uh... Is Zverev? He also, you know, he also won the doubles title. It should be mentioned in that uh, in that week there. Um, I I just think we're we're seeing, you know, quite honestly, I I don't want to. There's no need to make comparisons, but I'm just thinking about where, you know, it it, it just seems the inevitable breakthrough for Zverev um, at a Slam this year. I think is is looking. Is looking more and more likely here. Um, I think you know what we saw. He, you know, he's already. You could say what you want about Hotman Cup beating Roger Federer. Still there has to give you some confidence. He did so, I think, in three tiebreakers. He, you know, he goes toe to toe with Nadal at the Australian. Um, and it, it's, I, I guess, what we'll, we'll want to see about Zverev, you know, is really not even just the continuous sort of improvement of the game. Um, Want to see kind of how he ends up scheduling. I think that's been a huge thing with younger players on tour recently. Dominic team being, you know, a great example of that. I mean, what does, does Zverev kind of want to pick his spots a little bit more? Is he, is, are we, are, is, is, and should he already be kind of moving into that mode? Um, it'll be, you know, I think too with him, it, it's, his potential for really success on all courts is what appeals to me a lot about him as well. And with, you know, I think with that kind of backhand, you can, you can expect that. So I don't think, you know, for him either, it's a, it's a, it's a thing where we're kind of limiting him to progress on, you know, a few months of the year on one surface. I think that's really the, the exciting thing about, about Zverev. And I think just, you know, you can really just see it from watching him. I think in the end, a lot of this, I think to me, it sometimes just comes down to the eye test and, and what we've seen from him um, so far this year has been really, really good. Yeah. I think from, you know, the development of the last three years, when we first saw him in the U S really in, in 2015, when he was 17, he seemed, he looked to me like he was going to be the next John McEnroe, real, a hothead sort of, sort of a petulant kid. He's reined that in, quickly you know more you know it still comes out a little bit but he's improved that um in a in pretty quickly by the time he's 19 he seems he seems more mature on the court already as far as his game he really you know if he does go on to become number one you can kind of look at him as the next stage in in the evolution of tennis you can't say it yet because obviously he hasn't gotten there but but the potential is there in a guy who's six six and really plays like a guy who's six two he doesn't you don't really feel like i'm i'm watching a an especially tall player, like you do when you watch Burdich run around. Zverev is, you know, very much 
smoother. Um, he can, you know, he uses that height from way back in the court to hit winners. He's got a serve that really will bail him out. You know, all that stuff that you need. And you know, and he moves better than than uh, I think any of the guys that we've seen who are who are six six. Um, as far as his playing schedule, I think when you're 19, you definitely want to you definitely feel like you can play as much as you want. He's ranked 18th. He probably wants to get into the top 16 seeds, get points, you know, be seated in the top 16 at a Grand Slam. That would be, that's probably the goal for now. I think, I think, you do have to, you know, once he establishes himself like that, then you start to look at his schedule. Is he overscheduling like somebody like Dominic Team? I don't get that feeling from Zarev. I feel like he's got a good group with him that knows that that really does know what they're doing. His family. He didn't over celebrate at the end of this win. I like the way he. He kind of kept it under control. There was, there he had, he had won a couple really good, tough three-set matches. One against Sanga that easily could have lost and been satisfied with. I think the next step for him is winning three out of five set matches. He hasn't been, hasn't shown that he's been that strong in Grand Slams in the longer in you know the the three out of fives that it takes to win those. He he had his chances against Nadal, but he hasn't done as much in those events. So that you know that's that's kind of the next stage. But I thought this. This tournament was good for him in that he won tough three set matches. Yeah, and he did so as a you know as I mentioned you know kind of in an, an enemy territory in a sense too. I mean yeah. you know against really uh, you know the musketeers of, uh, of of French tennis there. So I want to close just by looking at really the WTA in a sense and and they you know this week in Doha next week in Dubai these are you know very well attended events field wise. Um, you know, very good uh, prize money as well to correspond to that. Um, you will not see Serena Williams. I, we're, I believe her next event is not till Indian Wells. It gives Anjali Kerber, from what I can tell, not that I've confirmed this, but you know, we, if she put together two very good events, um, you know, it's likely that she could get back into number one. She's only 600 and about 50 points behind Serena. Um, but, you know, again, I guess with the, I guess I have sort of two questions is, and, and I think we may have answered these in a sense, you know, in one of your previews to Doha, you know, despite all that, you know, even let's say, even if Serena was in the field, I mean, what do these events really tell us, if anything, you know, given that they will be kind of forgotten almost instantly once the hard courts move to back to North America and that these are not slams um, and given all of obviously some of the incentive for players to go there. And, you know, the second part is really about Kerber herself. I mean, does this really, you know, what sort of take the temperature on her you know, where, where things kind of have gone ever since, you know, 2016 came to an end. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, this, these tournaments, Kerber could potentially get back to number one or put herself in position there. And probably more important was that she just, you know, kind of turned this early part of the season around. She didn't, she started, obviously she's been flat to start this season, but I actually, but I would be surprised if she does. I feel like she has her, period she went through one last spring where she i think she may have lost five straight first round matches but then she was back for the wimbledon final and won the u.s open and finished number one anyway it's a long season uh and it, it really doesn't start as far as significance goes 
until Indian Wells. It's hard to really... The, the one thing you sort of remember from Doha and Dubai in the past few years is all the upsets. So you would sort of anticipate that, and I would, wouldn't be surprised if Kerber uh, take, is, loses early at these events. And I wouldn't, but I wouldn't say that that's all that troubling. You know, there'll be more... She'll get on more wolves and more ups and downs through this year. Um, so in that sense, it's, this is almost... You know, it's a. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but I don't. I wouldn't call these tournaments essential for her to get back. You know, to immediately get back on track. Yeah, and it, it's you know, I think overall this is great. This is good theater for the week. Um, the two weeks that'll happen here, um, and certainly some of the best tennis that we will see in February. Um, but it's got you know, it has its inherent self-contained space and uh and it should be remembered that way so nonetheless um we'll discuss it and we'll watch it and because that's what we do here on the tennis.com podcast um, we'll be back next week steve and i um to talk more and uh look ahead again as february moves on on both tours thank you for listening as always to the tennis.com podcast You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.